This episode of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce is brought to you by Free Play Florida. Guys, you do not want to miss it. It is one of the greatest conventions going on today. And it's all about retro gaming, which is something here at the Happy Hour with Johnny Deuce. We absolutely love and adore. They've got all your retro game favorites from classic consoles to also your favorite classic arcade cabinets. And don't forget that the Happy Happy Hour Hour with Johnny and Deuce is the official podcast. And of course, your boy Deuce is the voice of Free Play Florida. You don't want to miss it. Johnny, when is Free Play Florida? It's going to be November 11th through the 13th, 2016 at the beautiful Double Trier Hotel in Orlando, Florida. Johnny, who all is going to be there? We've got the amazing CEO and spokesperson for Sega, Nathan Barnett, as well as video game historian Walter Day, and creator of some of the biggest titles, Rampage, Xenophobe, Disc of Tron, Satan's Hollow, Star Trek Voyager, and many more, Mr. Brian Colon, pinball designers Gary Stern and Jersey Jack will be there on display with their beautiful pinball machines, player of the century and star of King of Kong, Billy D. Mitchell, and world record holders Richie Knuckles and Todd Rogers will be there on display. And speaking of world record holders, there's going to be multiple world record attempts going on that weekend on a ton of different games. You don't want to miss it. You want to be there at the Doubletree by Hilton in Orlando. November 11th to the 13th. And don't forget to tell them that the Happy Happy Hour with with Johnny and Deuce Deuce sent you. Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce presents The Year in Gaming 1990. Hello, Deuce. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, man. How are you? We're doing good. And we, we wanted to kind of start this retrospective, if you will. This is a little bit different kind of monster, a little bit different animal, if you will. This is our, our retrospective series on a certain year in gaming. We wanted to start off with the year 1990 because yep. a lot happened in that year. And then if these people start liking these and they really want to see more, we'll go we'll backwards in time as it, well. Yeah. But we want to do a series starting in the year 1990. Well, before we start, sure. how old were you in 1990? 1990, I was eight years old. So uh, I would have been eight two because mm-hmm. I'm born in June and you're born in October. October so you're only you're only yeah you're only like a couple months, months older than yeah. me. So we were both eight years old and that's yeah. a good thing. People yeah. in our age, little Deuce and little Johnny, were eight years old and we both had our uh, NES systems yes. and uh, Nintendo Entertainment System. And it's interesting too because that's also the year that the Nintendo World Championships began because um, oh. uh, we have these, according to Wikipedia, we have these nice little notes that you printed out that kind of give us sort of like. Businesses, a year in a, gaming, a year in gaming, the events, the notable releases, hardware, all kinds of cool stuff came out, and definitely let us know, hhpodcastshow at gmail dot com, what you thought of that year, or if you were even even around then, because you know we can't yeah. assume everyone you know had, was around uh, was around because a lot of people when you talk to them like 
you you kind of get to know who they are in their gaming world by what first system they played. Yes, that's that's a, that's a big opening. Like if someone says me. my first system was a PlayStation One, you're like, okay, okay, I got you. No, that's ninety seven, ninety. Yeah. That's ninety five dash ninety seven. So you're like. All right, so we know what age group they are if they say the 64 and, and whatnot. Why do you keep stealing my dating questions, Johnny? I don't appreciate <laughs> it. But uh, it's interesting for me because there was actually a big lawsuit that happened uh, during that year that I, wasn't, uh, that I wasn't aware of as a kid, but when you find out the stuff earlier, um, it was Nintendo vs. Color Dreams. Nintendo sued Color Dreams over unlicensed pro- production of Nintendo video games. So I thought that was... I think I remember that because the, the games came in a weird-looking cart. They, they didn't did. Look like th- they were like a black cart, and they didn't look like the rest of them. Right. And they didn't have the product, uh, lo- the logo. The, the, the official pro- Nintendo, Nintendo seal, seal on them. Tom, yeah. Like Tetris was one of right. them. Right. It so, was. Yeah. yeah. That was really interesting. Um and also, a lot of new studios started out that year as well. Uh, Eidos, uh, wow. which you know from Tomb Raider and all that. Interactive Studios, Team 17, uh, Revolution Software, and uh, another a company called Tinesoft, which became defunct that year. I don't. Yeah. I guess they did a lot of arcade stuff. Um, but yeah, so it was a very interesting year in gaming, and that's the reason why we wanted to start off because there was a system that I, you and I, didn't own at the time called the TurboGrafx 16. Yeah. Now we briefly talked about it with our good friend. The mega buck, buck um, yeah. about it because it was one of those cart. It was like a cart, like a little like memory chip. Well, I actually had one for like a hot second. Oh, did you yeah. own one? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, because my neighbor gave it to me. That's right. I remember you telling me. Yeah, and basically what it was is it like looked, a little memory card almost, but not even like a memory card. It was a little bit bigger than a credit card. Yeah, and, and you, you just would slide, slide it, it in, in yep. and it would it would have you know the game on there. Yeah. But the the greatest thing about the Turbo Graphics 16 was it was. Basically, the TurboGrafx-16 played the exact same games that you played in the arcade. Right. Because if TurboGrafx made the game, the arcade game was the exact same as a home one. So when you bought a game, it was a perfect arcade port, which, you know, I got on the train a little late. But if you were like a day one owner, it was like that blew your mind. It's like I'm playing the game and it looks exactly like it does in the arcade. It was originally designed to compete against the NES because yeah. NES at that time only uh, did eight bit. Yeah. This was like sixteen bit, so it was really you know. But there, but this also was the appearance of the of the first U.S. appearance of Bonk. You remember yeah. that was kind of like their Bonk's quasi adventure, their yeah. mascot, if you will, yeah. a big big like caveman looking. Baby looking Giant dude, big head, head yeah, and he in the it was a platformer, and essentially your attack was you would you'd headbutt everything, and it, you yeah. got these cool little they'd have like little weird power ups and different it was a like weird stuff later on they have like air zonk a lot of sequels that come out later but uh, I never had a lot of time with it because it was always a game that I had friends that had the yeah, Turbo Graphics like team. the only game I had with it because what what had happened was is my neighbor had it. And I'd already, I already had my Super Nintendo at this point, so we're talking. This probably was like mid '90s, and he was like, "Look, you know, I, th- I think he'd gotten a Sega Genesis or something. He'd gotten some other system, and he's like, look, I don't play this. Do you want it?'" And I'm like, "Hell yeah, I'll take it.'" And but the only game he had was Splatterhouse, and I played the hell out of Splatterhouse. That is like the definitive game if you own a Turbografx 16, yeah, like Splatterhouse. The Splatterhouse. Splatterhouse was one of the like original series. In Genesis, that. they later on the Genesis had the sequels to it, and yeah. I remember when they had that. It was a big deal because back in the day, Splatterhouse, the logo for Turbografx 16, actually had like blood for the logo, and mm-hmm. it was like kind of taboo. I remember when they came to the the Genesis, they actually had to change the the logo, oh, so it wouldn't they? be. Yeah, I didn't, found out about this years later because I had a friend of mine who was like, "Yeah, the sequel's coming." Because at that time, yeah. 
the Turbo Graphics team became defunct, and so but the they were able to make the sequels um, on the Genesis Genesis Sega Genesis, um, and I remember they had the the logo had to be redesigned because parents were outraged by because all the blood the blood because the logo is literally Splatterhouse was all yeah. written in blood, blood. yeah because yeah, that's what happened when I played it the only two things about that system I'll say just kind of add on to it is one the only thing that kind of stunk was because by the time I got it you couldn't go to the Babbage's or the EB Games or the KB Toys and get games for it because they didn't carry them anymore. And, guys, you got to remember about in the 1990s, especially if you're a, a, one of our younger listeners, which we love you guys, yes. our younger listeners. So kind of kind of old man Deuce telling yeah. you about how it used to be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they didn't carry all the – because you couldn't trade in games back then. No. And they didn't carry anything old, really. Basically, they only carried what the current systems were. So if it was a system that had, you know, kind of was out of style or gone out of business or whatever, like TurboGrafx-16 did, they didn't carry the games anymore. And because you didn't have any people trading in older games, they didn't have a library. So I, to be honest, I don't know what ended up happening with that system. I don't know if I traded it in or what happened with it. But I'm not going to lie, to this day, I wish I had kept it and took it with me uh, when I moved out the house because I don't I don't I don't really know. I never exactly see them in the wild it. either. Like no. you go to you go to retro shops, only occasionally you'll come occasionally across one. Occasionally you'll come across one. But they're not really that like out there in the wild. They're not and uh, here's the one thing I will say though. Somebody was telling me the other day like they're not as expensive as I would think they would be. I think they're around about Somewhere between 150, 200. That's bucks. what I, I was doing some eBay research. Yeah, the and it day. was like, yeah, it wasn't near as expensive as I thought it would be because, like you said, they're kind of hard to find in the wild. And the other thing too is, um, the games are kind of hard to find. They in are. The wild. They didn't make as many either. No, so, not and they didn't all. produce as many games. So no. that was one of the things. Is unless you had like a major mascot like like a uh, uh, bonk, and also people need to realize too back in the day. More different, uh, multiple places sold video game systems. It wasn't like now you have like a GameStop or a Best Buy. Yeah. Back then you had Sears, JC Penney's, Babbage's, like KB Toys. Uh, yeah. You had all these multiple places that oh, sold yeah. them. And the problem is, is like if that store only got one or two copies, that was it. They weren't getting orders, reorders. So yeah. it was kind of a lot of times they were in demand, and a lot of the stuff, a lot of the games for the uh, Trevor Graphic 16 ended up becoming a limited edition because they just didn't have enough demand. Yeah. Uh, I think it sold better overseas than it did here in the oh, U.S. Definitely. I yep. think uh, I'm pretty sure Japan it sold like hotcakes. Yep. Here it just didn't because it didn't have that name really because I mean when you think of systems here in the states because now we're in the 90s you know you had Atari was a big name because a lot of people had the Atari 8600 and all those the Atari systems mm-hmm. from the 80s. Nintendo was a huge name because right. the the NES the Nintendo Entertainment System came on like gangbusters. Like when I was a kid, I don't think. I can think of one of my friends that did not have a Nintendo. Like everybody owned a Nintendo. Yeah, Nintendo was the king, and then yeah. of course, the the Genesis actually came out um, before the Nintendo. And I remember, or, or not the Genesis, the uh, the Sega Master System came yeah. out before the NES, which was kind of like Sega's version of a Nintendo. Exactly. And the thing, w- weird thing about it was, in retrospect, the Super Nintendo wasn't wasn't released to compete. 
or I'm sorry, the Sega Genesis wasn't released wasn't released to compete against Super Nintendo. It was, it was released to, to compete against the Nintendo. Nintendo at the NES, but it ended up going, you know, the hard the console wars were essentially yeah. birthed there out of it. So it was interesting to kind of see, and I also felt like TurboGrafx 16 was kind of the redheaded stepchild. Like it was like, oh, we're over here, Can we? you know, it's like that that kid that gets picked last at dodgeball. You're like. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're gonna. The big boys are gonna play over here. You you go over there and and yeah. watch us battle it out, duke yeah. it out. And you had other systems that came out too, because PC gaming with the Amiga, Commodore sixty four. Yeah. There was a lot a lot of other ways to play games, and it wasn't like until it got to this generation to that generation that you really had like the the console wars, if you will, what we call what we consider the console, console wars. wars. So that was interesting, but the NES came out February 12th, uh, came out with one of the best-selling games uh, of all time, standalone games of all time. Uh, February 12th, the in, in in North America, Super Mario Brothers 3, which uh, last year celebrated its t- uh, 25th anniversary, which uh, amazing to think about that, like h- how many years it's, or actually 30th anniversary, excuse me, 30 years. Why are we getting old, Deuce? Yeah. Uh, and so it's crazy to think kind of like how where that game from that point on, because we had the weird Super Mario Brothers 2, the Doki Doki Panic uh, uh, game that we, at the time we didn't know as kids. We didn't know about this stuff till later. It's funny that stuff as kids, you just kind of blindly played it and went through it. And well, then, I when I played it as a kid, I was like, this seems a little, a little off. off. Yeah, you knew but something you just was, rolled you with rolled it. with it. Because yeah. they would throw in like the sound effects, the coins, and the music, like, oh, here we go. But I remember Super Mario Brothers 3 being like the real sequel. To, to Mario, yeah. to, to, you know, I was like, all right, well, this is what a real sequel is like, because it's interesting too, because they they tried to push out. Nintendo did a great job with both the NES and the Super Nintendo of not having to upgrade the syst- the hardware, but they would upgrade the carts themselves. Yeah, so, because you could do so much with the cart and yeah. add stuff to it to where yes, you're putting the cart in the machine. But because it is a cart, like you could have RAM. Well, inside they the even cart had like an yeah. additional chip for Super Mario Brothers three, the MM three really? uh, CB, which okay. was a precursor to the FX chip. Really? So yeah. So what would it would do is it would give you the parallaxing backgrounds where you'd walk and the background would move around. You yeah. know what I mean? So you could see the, and it would give it more like you would see like floating things in the sky and like it would oh, give okay. you all these different extra effects. So it was kind of like the precursor to the FX chip. So that card alone made it looks so good. You yeah. were like, oh my gosh, this is what a Nintendo like. This is card amazing, you know. A lot of and and that's where they kind of innovated on top of that. But Super Mario Bros. Three, I mean, I still play it once a year. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Well, I want to ask you this. Sure. Do you have a story about how you got yours? Yes. Okay. Uh, my story is my dad used to work at Seven Seven Eleven. He was there for thirty years, like a long time. And back a then, long damn time. Seven yeah. Elevens and Circle Ks would sell video games. Um, really? Yep, they would sell them back then. So my dad got ended up getting a copy of Super Mario Brothers three because if you remember, the reason why we got a delay in America is there was a chip shortage. The, the, the there was a chip shortage so th- in Japan, so they couldn't produce them fast enough to bring them out. To, that's why I got delayed a year because mm-hmm. it, was, it came out in Japan in uh, I think nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. So. It was already out in Japan, right. and that's why when you see the whole uh, wizard, the Movie, wizard, yeah. it was already there because they're like, "Oh my goodness!" Like, yeah. and that's what the running gag is: is like, how does Billy, the kid, the smart prodigy, even know how to play it? Because did he get like the the cheats? Because the girl sister goes, "Go for the warp pipe!" Like, how how or go for the warp whistle? How would she know the game wasn't even out in the United States yeah. yet? Like, yeah. did he get? Because they even say it in the movie. The yeah. problem is in that movie. He says before. Because I love The Wizard. The Wizard is mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies. I watch it like once yeah, a year. Yeah, it's great. Uh, if you goes, haven't seen it, go check it go out. Go check it out yeah. because it's got Ben Savage in it, who I love. Um, Fred Savage. Ben. 
is it Fred or is it Ben? Fred Savage. Ben Fred is his Savage. brother, Corey. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Fred Savage. Fred Savage. Sorry. Yeah. Um, one of the savages. <laughs> yeah. The one of your savage brothers. Yeah. <laughs> non wrestling related. Madness. Uh, yeah. But uh, he, the guy that's the announcer says, okay, and for the finals, we're going to play a brand new game. And he even says it's a brand new game. Yep. And then Homegirl's like, oh, I'm going to go for the war. I'm like, like what the, how do you know? How do you know that? Just, <laughs> like, it's <laughs> the biggest plot hole. It is. It was, that is what introduced me to plot holes as a kid. Yeah. Because I was like, how does she know that? I don't fucking know. Ooh. Well, yeah, because it, that, it was already in Japan, so it's like, how did how did she know? And like, it, we, unless you happen to stumble across a Nintendo Power at the time, but even then, they didn't have the warp bristles in them. Yeah. And because remember, later on, Nintendo Power did a whole guide just for Super Mario Brothers three. That's why I loved about Nintendo Power. Like, I, it was weird. It was they do that. They, they did they it for Link to the Past. Like, they did all they kinds did of stuff. They did it for Ninja Gaiden. They yep. did it for I think a Final Fantasy game. They, they did, did. It for. Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. Yep. Like, every so often, they would just send you this giant-ass magazine. It was just basically the precursor to strategy yep. guides. And I'm like, the fuck? I mean, it was so cool. But it was a great way to, to sell games because as soon as I'd look at it, I was like, I need this. But to tell my story real yeah. quick. So I went to the country club, which I, I did a lot with my parents, and we'd go out and have dinner. Sure. Um, and my dad was getting pissed because a lot of times we'd go to the country club, but I'd get, like, a hamburger and fries. And I wouldn't eat it all. And I guess my my pops, knowing him, probably had a couple too many drinks and was like, look, if you eat everything on that plate tonight, I will buy you a new Nintendo game. Oh, wow. Dude, I bought – I ate everything. I ate the fucking – what's that green shit they put on the side that makes it look pretty? Not celery, but the parsley. The parsley. I ate the fucking parsley. <laughs> I'm like – Everything's gone. Yep. And then the next day, I think he tried to, like, back out of it. But Mom was like, nope. You, you said, said it. it. You promised yep. it. You're doing it. So <laughs> me and him went to Walmart, and I got Super Mario Brothers 3. Because I was like, I want Super Mario Brothers 3. Because I love the original Super Mario. And the 2, I was like, eh. Yeah. But 3, oof. Well, it ended up going to sell, uh, at the time, 17 million copies, which is insane. Yeah. Especially for how much you're charging for it yeah. now. It was like, it was, well, yeah, well, it was like originally 80, 80 bucks, wasn't it, back in back in the 90s? I think it was like $80. I bought it for 50 or we, I remember us buying at Walmart for 50 Oh, was it 50 I don't ever remember us buying a NES or Super Nintendo game at Walmart that was over 50 Oh, know, really? Yeah, wow. me and you have had this conversation because you're like Final Fantasy was oh, 80 yeah. and, uh, and all these other games that were like really kind of like JRPGs were right. like 80, 90 bucks. Yeah. I don't ever remember. Now, you got to remember, we lived here in Haines City and we're going to the Haines City Walmart. Uh, I don't ever remember one video game ever being over 50 bucks. Oh, okay. Sometimes they'd be even cheaper. Sometimes you might be able to get one that had gone down to like 40 or I don't ever think I saw one under 40, maybe 30. But sure. I never saw anything over fifty bucks game wise because it was like always that flat fifty bucks. Yeah, it was a, a fantastic game. It's one always in the top ten games of all time. Uh, yeah. my, my personal be- favorite game of all time. I know that game inside and out backwards. I mean, that's a game I'll know how to play when I'm a hundred years old. I'll know all the secrets still. It's just a game that stays with you, sticks yeah. with you. Uh, but yeah, so that was I mean very pivotal time because that that was like the game that kind of changed the industry, especially sales wise. Yeah. People were like, "Wow, you could sell 17 million copies of a game," yeah. and it was and smart. Think, yeah. And Wizard helped marketing as well. Yeah. People were like, "Oh my god, I gotta have this game." Well, that's the thing. Like that movie was big. Like I remember that movie being in Nintendo Power, and I don't. To be 110 percent honest, I don't think I went and saw it in the movie theater. 
I think I rented it later on VHS and watched it. But like as soon as I saw that movie, I was it was like, awesome marketing. Yeah, you know, well, it, it even marketed the Power Glove and stuff. Yeah. Like there was a lot of marketing. There in was that a movie. lot. It was yeah, so, it was yeah. a lot of marketing. That that movie must have been sponsored and paid for by Nintendo because it was just a giant Nintendo marketing campaign. Exactly. Uh, in April of 1990, uh, Konami released Snake's Revenge, a sequel to the Metal Gear. Uh, game for the Nintendo Entertainment System in North America. Uh, and it was actually developed without uh, Hideo Kojima, the sequel. I didn't know that. Say it one I, more time. Hideo Kojima, he didn't actually uh, develop the, the sequel Metal to the Metal Gear. Metal Gear Solid 2? The Metal Gear, the original Metal, Metal Gear, Gear that, that got released for the MSX. Uh, it actually didn't get the, the sequel, uh, Snake's Revenge, uh, a sequel to the Metal Gear game for Nintendo Entertainment System actually was developed without Hideo Kojima. Really? Yeah, I didn't realize it wasn't de- uh, developed. With, I thought Kojima produced them all. All of yeah. them, yeah. So that was interesting. I, I never got to play like the Snake's... grab game where they're like, man, this did really well. Let's make another one. And he's like, look, I'm working on whatever he really wanted part two to be. So, because I could see that being the case. Well, because they released uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 Solid Snake for the MSX2 computer, but that was exclusive to Japan. And so, like, he was working on that at the time, I guess. Yeah. Our friend Mike Mike can correct us because he's a huge Kojima fan. But, like, I didn't realize that Kojima didn't work on the, the yeah. sequel. I always thought that was a Kojima thing. Yeah. I didn't realize that he had not worked on it, uh, which was interesting. Because that was back in the day when you got – there was a lot of games that, for, that came out in Japan that we never saw here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at Lost Levels, for example, uh, the, the true sequel to Mario – Japan was like this is too hard for Americans. Yeah. Like I remember the I even at the time I didn't know, but later on we find out that they actually had to dumb down the Super Mario Brothers three, dumb it down so we as Americans we could play it or what they thought at the time yeah. that we couldn't play it. Like they the like for example one of the biggest things that you hear about all the time is back in the Japanese version of Super Mario Brothers three. You know how you get like a fire flower or a Tanuki suit and you get hit, you go back to Big Mario. Yeah. Well, in the Japanese version, if you're if you're Fire Mario or Tanuki Mario or, or Raccoon Mario, if you get hit, you go all the way back down to small, Ooh. so you don't get that extra like step step that bridge gap. Step. Yeah. So like they, that's in the Japanese version, and, and there's a lot of other different changes and stuff. But like that was one of the biggest things was like, oh well, we got to make this easier for Americans. They, they just thought we couldn't play games, I guess, back in the day. Well, the other thing is, I'm not going to lie, going back and playing retro games now, like, they're tough as shit. They are really it, hard. Like, like, compared to, like, I think we've dumbed games down even way more because, like, going from the PS4 to, I've been playing a lot of my uh, uh, Super Nintendo on my 32X yeah. and my Sega lately. Yeah. And it's like, wow, I just can't even believe it. So Well, it's for me, it's weird because when the Nintendo came out, it was like, the box art when you you looked at the box art and you're like oh well this is going to be interesting you saw the cover and the color art and all that and it was it was very indicative of what the game is going to be like but it was in if you juxtapose that to the atari the atari you had like this crazy like hand painted artwork on the front and it was misleading like you actually that wasn't the game so that was one of the things that nintendo had to make sure they were clear on and were like hey what you saw on the cover is indicative of what's in the actual game. Oh, yeah, drawings. and you. But, yeah, no, you're exactly right because the Atari had these hand-painted drawings and you're like, you think it's going to be this beautiful thing and then you play it and you're like, uh... But then the art that was on the Nintendo game a lot of times was 
I mean, don't get me wrong. It still Sometimes had art, it was, yeah. but I mean, it was a lot, a lot closer. closer to what yeah. you saw in game. And yeah. I, and also, I thought that was kind of interesting. But 1990 wasn't all wasn't all just about the console games. We mentioned earlier about you you had the Commodores and the Amigas, yeah. and you had um, different types of computers out there. Origin, who makes computers, yeah. uh, they actually released the first Wing Commander game. I didn't realize really? it came out back in 1990. And of course, right. Wing Commander, obviously in cockpit, uh, you're in a you know in a ship and whatnot. And those those are some great games that yeah. later on got iterated on. They were really really great. Um, also in Japan, uh, Mega Man Three had come out for the Nintendo Entertainment System. We hadn't wow. seen it here in the U.S. But man, those Mega Man games were freaking hard. Even by today's standards, like it, they're really, really, really challenging. And I'm actually wearing a Mega Man T-shirt, sure, ironically, yeah. uh, which is which is fascinating. But it was also, you know, Mega Man Three was the first game that introduced the power slide yeah. that you could slide underneath, and uh, also incorporated uh, Proto Man and Rush. So it was a very big step in the uh, in the right direction. Because uh, Capcom and Konami were head-to-head back in those days. You had yeah. the Contra games, and, and there, was just, there was a lot going on there. But like I said, LucasArts also was really hitting a 1,000. I mean, they had The Secret of Monkey Island came out. Sierra Online released King's Quest V. So there's a lot. I think 1990 was a nice, like, uh, dichotomy there. There's a lot going on, a lot of experimentation because yeah. you had the Turbo Graphics 16, you had the NES, you had the Sega, you had... And then you had those great computer games with, yeah. you know, LucasArts and... Yeah. The, the Sierra. Maybe yeah, so there's a lot of that. different things that was going on. And in the same year, Mega Man 3 does end up being released in the U.S., uh, which is very important uh, to note because the it, that was towards the end of the year, ni- uh, November 1st and uh, the 90s. But you, you look at kind of where, where the system where the systems came out because arcades were still as popular as ever. Because yeah. you look, you look at back in the day, it was just like arcades were coming out left and right, and pinball machines, and mm-hmm. and it wasn't like the home console was the definitive way to play games yet. No, because at the, in the well, of course, during the eighties, you had a lot of arcades. Right. The '90s arcades were still pretty big. Like, I mean, there were still people I know that would go to arcade to play video games they didn't play like console games because either they didn't have a nintendo or like their families just weren't big on them having a console at home and also it was also the year that we saw the uh game genie adapter for the first time for the nes which that was mind-blowing the first time i remember playing what was it um uh boy and his blob i remember one time playing that game and then having the the Game Genie cart. I never owned one for the NES. I have one for. I still have my original one for the Super Nintendo, but Which I never I need to borrow sometimes. Sure. Uh, and I remember just being like, "What? Unlimited lives, unlimited jelly beans, or whatever it was in the game." And I was just like, "My." Or you could change colors of the game. I was just like, "Because it was like the first time you really got to experiment with like emulation, hacking, hacking essentially." You could hack the game pretty much with it, with it because basically it was like a bridge gap. We can't assume like, everyone yeah. knows what the game genie is. So well, basically what the game genie was is you would plug the game genie into your Nintendo or your Super Nintendo, and you would put the game into it. And basically what it did is it almost kind of in a, a little bit gave you like uh, production tools and producer tools because some games you could get infinite lives or power-ups or 
Um, some games, like you said, let you change the colors around and play with different things. Like, depending on how the game was built, the Game Genie would let you do things to where you could kind of hack into the game. And it was like the original cheat code. Like, yeah, it was. Because that was the only way with uh, cartridge games at the time, for the most part, that you could do cheat Like the codes. Konami code example. Like the Konami code existed, but other games didn't have anything like that. Yeah. So to actually be able to do something like that and be able to... Um, you know, make it a lot better and enjoy your game more was awesome. Like, I love my Game Genie for the Super Nintendo. I, man, I use that thing like crazy. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because you look at what happened. There was actually a major uh, copyright issue as well back in the day because the U.S. version was released by Galoob, uh, a toy manufacturer. Yeah. And then Codemasters. That's the one I remember. And, it was Galoob. Uh, uh, Code Ma- uh, Comerica is the one that released what they call Codemasters Game Genie in can- Canada and the UK. So it was actually a little bit different than the one that we got here in the US because yeah. Gloob became defunct and went out of business later on uh, after the Super Nintendo version. Mm-hmm. But like that, that was a different way. That's when you were like, hey, wait a minute. In America, you were like, that doesn't look like what we have. Because remember, we, the, even the Genesis was called like the Mega Drive. It wasn't yeah. the Sega Genesis. Yeah. So there was a lot of copyright issues that you know we didn't realize when we were kids that were happening over in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, this episode of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce is brought to you by... RetroGameTreasure.com Get real retro games for the old school consoles you love delivered to your door every month. They have consoles like the NES, Super Nintendo, Genesis, PlayStation 1, Game Boy, Game Boy Advanced, and more. Tell them the type of games you like and what games you already own so you don't get duplicates. You even get a wish list. It's not a rental service. And best yet, you keep the games. Use promo code HAPPYHOUR and save $2 off your first month. Learn more at RetroGameTreasure.com and don't forget to tell them that the Happy Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce sent you. That was interesting. Um, also, SNK uh, released the Neo Geo later on that year. I didn't realize that came out the yeah. same year, and that game was that that was like they they that was like the place where you went and played like all the SNK fighting games. Like there was all, that's yeah. what that system mainly played. It was like port metal slugs, and, right? Yeah, in the Samurai Showdown, right? But also, it was kind of like the Turbo Graphics sixteen because the Great Neo Geo system. Ports, yeah played the exact same, same games that the arcade ones did because basically the arcade games just had a Neo Geo inside of it. And, and how big those playing. carts were, yeah. Oh, those carts, those were, carts were, were... I mean, they were like huge, big... Man. They were like, uh, like you know... Well, I, I say all of our listeners know, but v- VHS tapes, like a VCR tape, yeah. like it was like one of those flipped vertical yeah. and that was going into the system. Well, like, that's the reason why it was the exact same system that was inside the arcades because those carts were the exact same ones. Basically, they were. It was just a giant Neo Geo yep. that they were plugging yep. these carts in for the arcade machines. Yeah, it was interesting because like I it was always it was also one of the systems where I never owned. Uh it was also a friend had. So I'd always go over to my friend's house and he'd be playing yeah. like some fighting games, a metal slug or something like that. And I remember just how beautiful it looked because it looked like at the time, you know, the arcade versions looked better than what we saw at home for the yeah. most part. Like if you if you had like Pac Man or something like that or Donkey Kong, you'd go to the arcades, it would look a little bit better. Yeah. Uh and that was one of the things about the uh the SNK's uh, Neo Geo was like it was just straight up it was literally like you said like you had an arcade in your house like it was the whole 
court. It was it was one to one. The the biggest problem with the Neo Geo was is expensive. I, it was the carts were expensive. oh my god. The carts were expensive and the machine itself was yeah. expensive. So unless you came from a household that had was very well off, you couldn't afford it because if I remember correctly, I want to say like the Neo Geo. Now you got to understand, guys. Eighties dollars versus two thousand sixteen dollars are two different things. But I want to say it was like a four or five hundred dollars system. It was a five. Yeah, I think it was four ninety nine when it so came out. So five hundred dollars, but five hundred dollars in eighties money was probably like a thousand bucks. A thousand probably bucks, easy, yeah. if not more than it's that. Crazy in eighties money. Yeah. So it's like if you're paying a thousand bucks for a system, like you got to have a well off family, or you know, you can't. Uh, at least I can, I can say for our household, like you know. We couldn't have dropped the, that much money on just a well, game system you know, for me to play. Well, it was one of the things where it's like, as you, you know, our parents were like, "Oh, we you have an NES. Why do you need another game system?" That's the way my exactly. parents were like, "Oh, what? Why do you need?" Yeah, because I remember, and and we'll get to it when we get further along. Like, I I had my Nintendo, and then I got my Super Nintendo. But I was the one. Well, I earned my money to get my Super Nintendo, but I had to also earn money to buy a Sega Genesis later. And I found a retro store, which. It wasn't retro back then, but it was one of the first stores where you could trade in because, like I told you you guys earlier, back in, in the 90s, you couldn't trade games in. You couldn't go to, like, EB Games or Babbage's or GameStop. GameStop wasn't even around uh, trading games. So to find a mom-and-pop store that lets you trade in games it was, was mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we had to drive all the way from Haines City to Orlando because it was down the street from my grandmother's house. So, like, I would only get to go maybe – a dozen times a year because when we'd go to grandma's house, like one day we would go over there. That was like one of my treats for being good at grandma's house. We could go to the, the video game store and I could trade in my old games. Um, did you ever play the master system growing up? The Sega master system? Yeah. No. And to be honest, I can tell you to this day, I still not played a Sega master system. Yeah. It was the, the precursor to the Genesis essentially. And I remember they, they even had, like... It looks a lot like an Atari when you it look does, at it. It does. It like, does. Especially the way that... Because there's no art on the games. It's mm -mm. just a little label, and it says, like, the name of the game. So, I mean, it looks and, and plays... Well, I shouldn't say play because I never played it, but it looks a lot like the Atari in system of games. Well, it came out, you know, back back in, according to my notes, 86 in the United States. And I remember that was... At the time, it was... You know, it sold all well. It did, like, 10 million units, uh, and it did really well. And I remember even then Sonic wasn't the mascot that we that he was later no, on. No, he didn't come out until way later. Way later. Yeah. But it was it was interesting for me because like it was designed the sound chip was designed by Texas Instruments who we grow up They make calculators. They make calculators. Yeah. yeah. So it was really weird to see like it, you know, a lot of stuff we didn't know as kids. We find out later on which you know they yeah, it's just weird to me to think like the 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 when we were growing up in high school it was like the we had to have the scientific calculators which was done by Texas Instruments, Instruments. and they did the sound chip back in the day, so I thought that was really really fascinating because for me when I when I would it was always like this master system was always a system that like it wasn't a friend that had it it was always like a distant cousin that had one and I remember it was it, and when I was living in Louisiana. Like I remember, like the, it was, it was really we we had a really small towns, so we had to drive like an hour just to get to like the major, you know, the major areas that you can get systems and stuff. Yeah, so like a mall or exactly. a, something like that, or a Walmart or something. Yeah, so it was, you know, later on they, you know, would have something like that. But like I remember that the Master System had the uh, Ghostbusters game, and I remember being super excited seeing the commercials because back yeah. in the day you got. 
you, you kind of get commercials now, but they're all it's all like YouTube and you know you don't really. But back in the day, you would actually get commercials on your television. Like your, your because you used to have like cartoons after school. And you used to have, like, stuff like that. And you're right. Like, you, I remember, like, during G.I. Joe and Transformers. Because you get home from school, and then it was, like, G.I. Joe, Transformers. There might be, like, a weird anime thrown in there. Like, a Battlestar yep. Yamamoto or a, a, oh, goodness, a Robotech or something in there. And, yeah, they would, they would have video game commercials. And you're like, wow, I didn't, you know. Well, it was weird because for the Master System, they had... Uh, one of the games that actually did really well was uh, where they had a license agreement with Disney uh, to do the Castle uh, of Illusion. Do you remember that game? It came out with Mickey Mouse, starring Mickey Mouse, and it was like a platformer game where you're inside of a castle. And it was what system was that on? Mega, Sega Master System. Well, see, here's the thing. It came out later for other systems, yeah. but like that was the first system that it got produced, and this was back in the 90s. Like, wow. It was actually kind of revolutionary when you look at it from like a platforming standpoint because there was a lot of extra things that the, the game, it looked really pretty and, yeah. you know. Well, I didn't learn about the Sega Master System until I was pretty much in my 20s and kind of like the beginning of the internet started coming around when you could actually look things up online and mm -hmm. find out information. Because as a kid, I thought Sega's first system was Sega Genesis. I did too. I didn't I know had this. No I had no clue about this. It, it wasn't until, until later in life that I found out, wow, Sega had a system before the Genesis? Well, it's funny because uh, when it was Sega, the Sega Master System, people uh, at the time, they didn't. Uh, my friends weren't calling it the Master System. They were just calling it the Sega. Yeah. So I didn't put two and two together until I was later on. I was like... So there was a system. It was a system before the Sega Genesis. It was called this. It was called the Master System. But you didn't know this, because, dudes, let's be honest. Before the internet really came about, our our the way we got knowledge was in magazines. Magazines it was like the, and talking to your buddies yeah. in class or your buddies in your neighborhood, and you would talk back and forth. But being little kids talking to each other, information gets skewed. Information kind of exactly. Gets, you know. Yeah. So like, the the Sega Master System was interesting too, because those it was also the system that that showed that. That produced the R-type games and yeah. and uh, Outrun and and Golden Axe and like there was a lot of like ports, console ports of those games and it was really fascinating to see kind of like where those uh, like Alter Beasts and all that because you think a lot of those games you think of Sega Genesis but they they had versions that so came out the, the but because the Master System it, it sold well in the uh, in the UK but it didn't sell as well in the United States no. so it was kind of one of those things where it's like but I think the UK is so close to Japan that maybe it's still perhaps that buzz and that word of mouth from the Japanese of like oh this is better than the Nintendo and then you know and they I think they did like a uh, an iteration of the the master system later on like a, an upgraded version or whatever that came out in the US but uh, yeah for the most part it was just like the the original master system was something that most people that I, I didn't know anyone that owned one other than my cousin's cousin or whatever, like second cousin or something like that. So it was like, it, it wasn't something that was, it was usually NES is what sold. Yeah. What most people had was an NES back in the day. All my friends had NES. Yeah. Like, I don't even know one person that, like I said, because I didn't play, I still haven't played a, a Sega Master System, but I didn't know anybody, you know, as a kid that had one. Yeah. It wasn't until, I didn't learn about Sega until the Genesis. And because it is called Genesis, you think Genesis is the first. Right, you do. You think it's the first, yeah. You think, oh, yeah. Well, this, is the this first must Sega. be the this first one. The Genesis, Genesis of Sega. Exactly. But, no but, but Sega, they obviously ended up, you know, striking gold with Sonic 2 later, which we'll get into another year in our retrospective series uh, in 1991. But the another game that came out that pretty much revolutionized RPGs was Final Fantasy uh, yeah. came out. And that was 
Uh, thanks to my wife, our third member, I was able to to get a copy online uh, in the box, uh, the original Final Fantasy for Nintendo, and it still works. The the, the save battery still works. Yeah. So that, that that was interesting. Uh, but those games, I mean, you look at it later on, like what happened with RPGs. I mean, it would go on to the Super Nintendo and, and so on and like just revolutionize the gaming industry when it comes to, you know, what you could do on a game. Because I remember like saving, like that was one of the first games. That's why that's why Watch Batteries became existing because you, you, you needed to have a way to save to the cart and it would yeah. power that save. And I remember before it was like you, d- you had a lot, a lot of games were like, you had like sports games that you, it was just like arcade sports titles, yeah. like Tecmo Bowl and stuff like that, where you didn't need to save anything. Or yeah. it was arcade ports like Pac Man, like yeah. you didn't need to save anything. You were yeah. just playing until you died, right? How many lives you got, Gradius and mm-hmm. and Galaga and all these ports that you got for the NES. You didn't need to save anything. It might save your top. It'll score, save your score, but yeah. that'll go right to the card. It doesn't. You don't really need a you know watch battery. But it was like, all right, well you need to you know. This is you need to have this way to save all this information. Right. You know, you have these you know thirty, forty hours. Of, I mean, that was a huge game back in the day, and I remember that was like the game that made me fall in love with RPGs. And I, I, I didn't Final own Final Fantasy One, Final Fantasy One, and I remember like not really. I'd seen some like quasi RPGs on um on a PC, but we didn't own one, so it was like it didn't really matter to me. But it was like it wasn't until Final Fantasy, uh, one, which I got. Which I got, it, I don't think I got it in 90. I think I got it later on, like 90, 91 or something like that. Uh, and I remember playing that, and I remember just being like blown away by it because I was like, oh, my God, the music is so great. And the open overworld, and you had like this, uh, you had this airship you can go around. Uh, it was it was amazing. And just I remember just getting lost in that game. Um, but the NES in general, like it just, it stand in the test of time because back in the day, like we said, you had all these systems battle, duking it out. You know, you had... The SNK Neo Geo, you had the the TurboGrafx 16, you had the 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 different you know computers that were doing stuff, the MSX2, yeah. uh, and all that stuff as well. So it was like they were all duking it out. And then who 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 would have thought like at the end of the day, all these years later, that it would mainly just be Sony and Microsoft? Like that's strange to me to think yeah. like the, after all those companies that battled it out, because everyone tried to get their hand in the in the. Well, the, especially during the, the the 80s, like, video games got kind of big. Mm-hmm. And then the 90s, I think it got kind of big. Yeah. I think there was maybe mid-90s a little way point yeah. where it kind of like, okay, we're getting out of this market, like, unless you were the big two. Right. Um, well, a lot of companies didn't, I mean, you, you look at, was it the, um, like, Panasonic 3DO, like, I remember when that came out, it was, like, other companies, like, Magnavox ended up making their own version. Like they, Yeah, and it was weird to see kind of, like, other companies uh, making systems. Like, there, I remember there was, like, four versions of the, the Sega CD. I remember it's, like, all these companies would, like, try to iterate and iterate, and it just, to, to its own demise, like, people just couldn't support it because you had to produce and mass ship stuff out, make sure you had enough games and holiday, and then you had the Sega Saturn FUBAR, which... You know, you release it five months early before developers are finished making their games. Yeah. So there's a lot of ups and downs, like you said, you know, with the gaming industry and the fact that you know Sony and Panasonic and all you know all these companies are duking it out. It was like, 
you know, Phillips had their agreement and their CDI, and and they had they had the agreement to produce two games, two licensed games from Nintendo, the Hotel Mario and the Zelda crappy CDI games. So like you had all these different companies that were duking it out, and at the end of the day, I think to be to be fair. I think Sony and Microsoft really got lucky the way they, they everything turned out because yeah. I mean look at all these other companies that had to fail for them to succeed. Yeah. So like who knows what the history could have been? I mean, <clears throat> what if Atari was still kicking? You know, like yeah. like they they dropped. They tried to go with Atari Jaguar, you know, and, and the Lynx and all that. Like they tried to do that and it just couldn't work. Yeah. And they they you know back back in the you know eighties Atari was a household name yeah you know now like no one knows who Atari is now I mean most of the young generation has no idea what Atari is they know. may have heard of it they've seen the logo yeah. on a t-shirt at Walmart for seven fifty mm-hmm. you know you can see you know like they've seen it but like they never had a chance to really they don't know what it is they didn't have their hands on it but yeah. uh i I think with the year nineteen ninety in in retrospect I think you would look at it and see it's a very diverse year there's a lot of experimentation you had super mario brothers 3 which sold like gangbusters you had uh you know metal gear solid sequel not produced by hideo, hideo kojima which which is fascinating you had the msx2 which is really popular in japan uh as a you know computer uh, gaming system that was really popular you had the turbo graphics 16 i mean yeah. it was all over i mean i feel like 1990 was so experimental who know who would have known what was going to happen later on with the Super Nintendo and all that because like that that I mean as a gamer I, it was kind of confusing like our parents were able to you know see see the light and see the Nintendo you know and obviously yeah. Nintendo mass I mean they marketed the hell out of the NES yeah. I mean you know what was it uh power to play or what was their term it was like uh you're playing with power, Nintendo yeah. power, right? Yeah. That was like their their big catchphrase. Yeah. Like, look at all what you could do. You could jump, and they showed like Mario. I mean, they showed Tetris. Look at all the stuff. Like, if you didn't like platformers, you get you could play Tetris, like yeah. a puzzle, like a puzzle game. Like they had like, like oh, look at look at the original Legend of Zelda. It was like, look at this awesome like ex- you can explore. There's not like a, there's like a you know go wherever you want. Yeah. There's not like a actual like map and like there was a lot of experimentation. You know, and obviously if you were an arcade junkie like we were, you were seeing your arcade ports come home. You're like, oh my god, this is I get to play Pac-Man at home. I don't have to drop it. And your parents, yeah. my parents were so happy. They were like, you don't have to spend like ten dollars and quarters. You know, back when it was a lot of money back in the day, going through and playing you know uh, Donkey Kong and whatnot. You come home and actually play it in Galaga. I remember Galaga was like. My jam. I was playing that game all the time growing up, and so it was. It was a really awesome year for gaming. Yeah. Of course, this is our retrospective series, Deuce. The year in gaming, 1990. So we want to know what your thoughts are on this episode. We kind of yeah. we're all over, and that I think that's what was so great about this year was it was so experimental as a year, and it really kind of like pushed the envelope with you know consumers because you're like, hey, what's yeah. really gonna succeed you yeah, know and what's not what's gonna fail which think, obviously uh, you know we see what happened with the snk we see what happened with the turbografx 16 but in hindsight you didn't know you were kind of you know just playing russian roulette like what am i gonna you know what am i gonna get what's gonna be successful and yeah. you know our parents were lucky we were lucky that the nes succeeded oh, you know yeah. sony six or uh, nintendo succeeded and uh you know that ended up being the right choice for both of us but imagine if what happened what you know what would we think of like deuce Little old Deuce ended up getting a TurboGrafx 16 instead of NES. Like, yeah. how would you how would you be as a gamer going? You know yeah, what I mean? Maybe I mean, it would have burned like, you on it. Yeah, and it might have, and it might be a totally different experience. Because I remember, like, my parents they my first Nintendo they bought me, my second one they're like, you got to figure this out. Right. So I had to like start mowing lawns. Right, and I remember. Money, yeah. And then 
that's how I bought my Super Nintendo right. and saving money and mowing lawns and doing little odd jobs for neighbors yeah. and stuff to get enough money for it. And I think you're right because if I had done all that work and bought something like a TurboGrafx-16 and took a dump and it's like because that did happen to me in high school with the Dreamcast but we'll get to that when we get to further along in, in these retrospectives and we really hope you liked them and uh, yeah. definitely send us send us an email to show at gmail.com and tell us what you think about this episode because we're going to make this a series yep. we're going to try and do every year at least through the 90s and then we're going to play around where we want to go decade to decade from there but let us know your thoughts also hit us up on twitter at hh podcast show on the twitter machine uh hit us up on facebook.com forward slash happy hour podcast show and uh give us a like mm-hmm. and of course always you can find us at soundcloud.com forward slash happy hour podcast and we're also you know on google play music we're also on itunes stitcher give us a star favorite reshare retweet do all that stuff and give us a comment let us know a review what you think of our show definitely and as always there's three hashtags you want to put in your social media of choice as hashtag happy hour podcast hashtag hh podcast show and of course hashtag deuces Deuces on on the loose. loose later see ya